0: Be handed a project like this, this is the dream come true. It's a beautifully simple and rational structure.
1: The aesthetic is kind of completely different.
0: It's not a prominent building, but when you do find it and dig into it, there's some really amazing things going on here. He doesn't care where the
2: columns are; he just runs those blades wherever they end up. It's got that looseness about it, and it gives it a, a, just a feeling of freedom. I think.
3: It asks questions of people. You know, well, why is it like that? But I'm sure nobody asked themselves that question because they can't park. But I asked myself that question.
2: <laughs> Hello and welcome to Two Point Perspective, a podcast about buildings told from different points of view, produced by Sydney Living Museums.
1: It's a kind of rainy day and Kieran and I are standing here in a car parking station in Double Bay. Uh, Kieran, why are we here?
2: We're here to look at this parking station. It's more than a car park. And see why people actually respond to it and why they like it. I mean some people hate it as well, but <laughs> I'm not sure if we'll be discussing those people. So It's it's an open-deck, multi-storey car park, four storeys high. It's made of in-situ concrete columns, beams and slabs. And then it has slender vertical precast fins attached to the slab edges on the facade, which are arranged in an irregular pattern. There are two stair towers and one lift tower. One sits within the floor plate, and the other two sit outside the facade and act as a sort of uh, vertical counter to the long, horizontal floor plates. Each stair tower terminates above the roof in a distinctively different sculptural way. But the main thing that characterises are these elegant, vertically arranged precast fins. They're very slender and they're playfully irregular against the massive concrete structure that is this building.
1: Yeah, although it is this big exposed concrete building, it's got this kind of lightness of touch and the playfulness in how those vertical fins are arranged, which is really interesting It makes it quite exceptional in a way. It's also something of a technical achievement in how it's been done, which is something we can really ask Furio Valich, the architect of the building, who we're going to speak to later, about. It's also a building that is under threat. Its owners, Wallara Council, want to redevelop the site and so have proposed to demolish the building. And so this brings up a lot of interesting questions about how we value late modern or brutalist buildings like this. They're utilitarian and functional and we often don't really notice them. So it's quite hard to say, you know, are they heritage? Should we keep them? So we'll wade through some of these thoughts on brutalism and we're going to talk to a big fan of the building, well-known Sydney architect Sam Marshall.
2: So it's in Double Bay in Sydney, and if you don't know that area, it's it's a beautiful part of Sydney. It's on the harbour, it doesn't have many views of the harbour because of private houses in between the buildings and the harbour. But lots of trees, it's a wealthy and cosmopolitan sort of retail and cafe area. This car park is a bit of an anomaly in here, but on the other hand, it sort of fits in very well. It's different to your typical double bay, shiny, white building.
1: Yeah, I'd say double bays have been the subject of a lot of developmental churn. You know, there's not much sort of left of earlier building periods in double bay. And this is a sort of remnant of double bay in the 70s where it's a really good example of that period of town planning where car parks were added to suburban shopping centres to support the commercial enterprises here. This is, you know, a small satellite shopping area separated from bigger areas like Bondi Junction and things. So it's still sitting here as a remnant of that 70s planning.
2: Yeah, it's, it's called a parking station which signifies that it's a building, it's got a lift, it's got infrastructure, it's a, it's a point of destination maybe like a railway station and I think the idea was that you drove here and then it allowed Double Bay to be more pedestrianised, more shut off streets in a sort of 70s, 80s way. This building was built at an interesting time in 1977, 1978. And maybe the last brutalist, or what could be called brutalist building in Sydney was built shortly after that in 1979 or 1980. And they had probably been begun in the early 70s. So this is towards the end of a period where there was a lot of raw concrete buildings. But I think by this time, some of these techniques that are used in this building, the precasting of identical elements, did lead to some very repetitive, very industrial, and often very poor buildings. And with the recession and the coming of postmodernism, brutalism kind of extinguished itself. It had become it was unquestioning the style for public buildings and for infrastructure, and then simply people were sick of it, you know, and it was very hard to sell. So it's interesting in, in Furio's case, he, he started out on his own in 1979, and then in 80 or 81, he set up a partnership with Douglas Gordon, and Douglas Gordon had just come back from the US. He'd been studying in Philadelphia with Venturi, he worked on competitions with Venturi and also with Louis Kahn. And if you were going to look for a postmodernist pioneer in Sydney, it would be Dougie Gordon, because he uh, was there speaking to the man who started it all happening. So yeah, it's a building right at the end of brutalism. And the qualities that we really like about it, maybe they're not brutalist, you know, the playfulness.
1: Yeah, well, cause post-war these kind of what, you know, what sort of come to be called brutalist buildings, they were mobilised to solve a whole range of issues like affordable housing, education, transport, hence this sort of parking kind of facility in new kinds of town centres. And they're typically unadorned, making few references to the past. People often experienced these sort of insertions into the landscape as a kind of trauma. You know, They're often not at human scale and they were sort of alienating which certainly I don't think this building is. It doesn't have those characteristics because other buildings that you could identify as brutalists are really beautifully handled, simple, the concrete becomes sculptural, they're sensitive additions to their context, often really well integrated with the Australian bush. And they speak of a post-war optimism of social progressive policies and a culture of not looking at the past the car park was the sort of thing of that period too, wasn't it? Do you think it was a good brief for a late modern architect to get?
2: I, I doubt whether they thought so at the time because, and, it, and that's why Furio I think probably got to do the building. They were doing law courts, university buildings, hospitals I think. So possibly not, but maybe for a um, junior architect to do something which he could excel at, I doubt whether he would have excelled at designing the law courts at that time, but he did excel at designing a parking station.
1: It gets difficult for people when we think of these buildings as heritage, because there's a thing called the Authorised Heritage Discourse, which basically it's like a constructed idea about what heritage is, based on it being old, aesthetically pleasing, having a sort of material quality based on sort of Western culture and then being expert interpreted, like i.e. an expert tells you that it is heritage. And brutalism conflicts with that in a number of ways. Obviously, it's not that old for a lot of people. You know, they're often very familiar buildings. The aesthetic is completely different. And also the material quality is really different. It's kind of hard to value concrete when it's a material that's sort of everywhere. sort of ubiquitous. It takes a bit of extra understanding to see the particular qualities of the concrete, even in this building. but. I believe if we understand a building better, we're more likely to see and appreciate its qualities and hence support its protection. So let's take a closer look at the Cross Street parking station. Do you like what I did there?
2: Yes, I did. Yeah, I did like it. Um, You certainly look pleased with it.
1: (laughs) Sam Marshall has come to the Cross Street car parking station to talk to us about it. Sam lives in the area and is a very big fan of the Cross Street parking station. When did you first start to appreciate this building?
0: Probably 30 years ago and it's not a building that's easily noticeable because it was disguised on the eastern face with the beautiful casuarinas that grow up parallel with the the blades on the outside so it's not easily, it's not a prominent building but when you do find it and dig into it there's some really amazing things going on here. It's a beautifully simple and rational structure. And it's rational for certain reasons, and that is, it's a car park, I guess cost is an issue in building car parks, so it's as trim as it could be. Things like, there's three rows of columns in the building and that's it. So when you set those up, everything spans between them with the beautiful T-beams below, then they pour a slab on top of that. So the T-beams would have been precast, brought in on site and dumped down, so you're doing your fabrication off site to save money, You drop them in place, you pour your slab. Those three columns also allow for a split level. So the column comes up off each level, and then of those slabs, the slabs all fall one way. So all your drainage just goes off to one side, which is, all of that's beautifully simple. Mm.
2: Yeah, and it's um, economical, of course, too. Exactly. And then there's a small amount of decoration. Maybe it's just extra craft around the bits where the humans are going up and down, which is
0: the stairs. To me, it's not an unfriendly building. It is friendly for humans. If you look at the fire stairs, there's an awning's been put there so people can walk to the fire stair and there's protection from the weather there, the rain. And in those ones that are outside, it's nice that they're curved. To me, they recognise the human coming around, going around it and down the movement, not a sharp corner in it. That's right, yeah.
1: Let's go downstairs and have a look at it, maybe from the street level.
0: The
2: other thing you see as you go down through the building is all types of concrete weathering, fantastic.
0: Let's talk about that. So with the materials of the building, to me they're very direct materials. Being a building that doesn't have like a weather screen on it, the weather has to go through the building. Cars drip, water has to come off it. So concrete's obviously been chosen for that, probably fire rating reasons as well. But then the building's been left, so all the materials have been left to weather. Concrete, I think, weathers beautifully, as as Kieran, you've spoken about there. Uh, Galvanized steel is left to weather. No need to do anything to it. Slabs are left to weather. So all the materials are just simply left. And hopefully people appreciate that doesn't cost any maintenance money. And there's a beauty in weathering as well, as opposed to madly trying to clean everything. It's It's the patina, I think, that adds to buildings as they get older. Yeah. People appreciate it in a stone building, but not often a concrete building. But do you mind leaning over the edge to look at the um, the blades and look yep. down at them? Yep.
1: And what about how they're attached?
0: Yeah, so that's one thing I love. Again, it's, it's, it's really direct detailing. So it's almost, well, dare I say it's stupid. De- no, it's not stupid detailing. It's just really simple. So that, that you actually, they'd all be the same on every level. So there's one mole, one cast in bracket and then you just simply bolt that on so it's the same component on every single level and just simply drilled and bolted in yeah but because that's a big chunky bit of
2: gal that's cast into the actual blade there's you can't see any deterioration at all yes it's in perfect shape they're not falling off the building
0: no.
1: Okay, so we've, we've come down to one of the typical levels, down a level. So we're on one of the levels of the car park, where we've got the concrete roof above us.
0: So the, to me, the beauty of it here is these T-beams that span. So they span from column bay to column bay. So between the cars, there are no columns apart from where the ramp is. So that's fantastic. No cars have to be terrified about hitting columns. They go, they span all the way through. I can only think of Harry Sider when I see these because he did those beautiful tapered beams. Uh, and Furio did work for Harry? Yes. Yep. And these ones don't have the same tapered ends. That'd be an expensive mold to make. Much so these robust. are pretty direct. The other thing I like about it is you've got the, you'd have the in situ columns and beams. And then where you see the T-beams sit in, there's like about a 30 mil gap around them. So the recognised tolerance, you just drop them in and you can move them around Mm. and it doesn't matter. And if you think about it here, we've got one mould for the cladding on the outside. We've got one mould for the beams on the inside. Moulds are expensive. You make your mould, you just crank them out. It's like printing money, you just make your beams. So I presume the column (laughs) bays are the same because that's got to do with the parking. So simple.
1: Okay, should we go down and maybe out to look at the building from the outside?
2: So we're going to leave the pink level.
1: We're leaving the pink level. So we are on Cross Street, looking at the front of the building. There is a really nice planter bed that is obviously part of the original precast, looking really nice, but there, there's some sort of commercial, it probably was the office for the car park, we'll have to ask Furio about that. But it's not looking good now, with sort of infilled with glazing.
0: Well, that's an addition, this bit here, yeah. For, for, the, for, the, for the longevity of the building, it's a pity it's there because that's what I think people see that's an ugly building you've got to pull it down whereas the sides are quite beautiful with the blades and the way the trees were
1: yep I think you're right should we go down the side yeah sure so as is- standing on cross lane looking at the side of it what what side is east. it east side and it used now we've got this is the there's a sort of a verge a grass verge and there's a bed up against the building of just sort of shrubs basically which used to be all sort of full height casuarinas which would have you know mimicked the vertical blades and kind of a much more sort of a coherent gesture so i guess this that's well it's
2: providing shading the structure and yeah and now it looks like a extended front garden with sort of potted colour a domestic front (laughs) garden
0: yeah so totally out of place yeah
1: yep and i guess this was part of the bruce mckenzie scheme originally and it's an interesting you know example of how brutalism was often really quite sensitively integrated with landscape
0: Uh, that, that was one thing that the smithsons were very keen on it wasn't to me Brutalism wasn't necessarily the use of concrete, that's something, a new interpretation, but the Smithsons wanted a building that was stru- had honest materials, honest expression of structure and services, and integrated with the landscape. So to have native trees here, to me integrates, this is, this is bringing weird plants to this country, whereas originally Bruce McKenzie's trees would have integrated with the landscape, extended it, and related to the building, and then it all weathers and grows together. It's such a pity those trees went. They really were, to me, an integral part of the building. And you can see the way it used to look down there. And this this existing landscaping is just a complete insult to it.
1: Yes, so now um, the vertical blades we haven't discussed that. They're actually not just blades done in a regular arrangement. This is where I think FURIA did something special, isn't
0: it? So you Tell believe it's about Talk about the Fibonacci series?
2: Well. My understanding is they had a budget for the facade and he
0: wanted to arrange it in a more musical fashion. And I would be interested also to ask Furio why the Fibonacci series when there's a million of patterns that you can choose and would anybody ever get that it's a Fibonacci or is that for somebody like an architectural archaeologist to see that later on and have a great discovery?
2: I think what's great about it is that it's just overlaid loosely so it's not framed, it's not, it's not done as a grid, and because he's got the frame, he runs the, he doesn't care where the columns are, he just runs those blades wherever they end up. Yes. So you see they're in front of the column or they're not, it doesn't really matter. So that's, it's got that looseness about it, which is simply, it's just an overlay, and it gives it a, a, just a feeling of freedom, I think.
0: Well, one thing I also noticed is, how does that, the building actually look from its urban context? And we're looking side on so we can see straight in but most people would see it from Cross Street and uh, what's that out there? Old South Head, New South Head Road. So you see it on the side. So you see the blades, you don't necessarily see in and you see the cars. And and similarly on Cross Street, you'd see it either side, coming along Cross Street or coming up from the lane here. So it's quite rare you actually look straight into the building. I think one of the things that this building does is it, it...
2: He's been asked to do a car park. He hasn't been asked to do a beautiful car park. I'm sure that wasn't in the brief, but he's taken, he's doing more than is required, but possibly with
0: less, with very little. Yes.
1: So Sam, why do you think it's important to keep buildings like this?
0: I guess the way that I see it is that it is a, it's a building of its time. Any heritage building is a building of its time. You probably wouldn't build a building the same way now. So you can't go back in time. And to me, the whole, spectrum of history is notionally important, it's having examples of that history, not just keeping the colonial and Victorian history, it's everything, so this is, this is thinking to the future. When people look back and all the buildings of that era are gone, people aren't asking the question what were they thinking, why did they knock it down? So it's a unique example, it's a unique example of, of architectural history in this area. It's an interesting building because no one
2: knew who the architect was. A lot of the time, I think with architecture in Sydney, people really need to be told that this is this work this building has architectural merit, and it needs to be brought home again and again. Uh, people are reminded of it who the architect is, their prestige, their awards or whatever. but this one just sat here by itself for a long time, and yet people often comment about it and ask about it. Um, what do you think about that sort of phenomenon of sort of uh, unnamed architecture, maybe unidentified architecture. Yeah.
0: I really love that, you find little gems. That's why it's so good having our brains trust Rebecca, here, that can say that building is by so-and-so, because you, you don't know who they are, who, who they're by. Um, I think architects saying something about these buildings, why we see it as important, is a good thing. Not, I like the look of it, not that sort of stuff. There's layers and layers and layers in this building why, why it's a good building. And it's a bit like contemporary art. Contemporary art is really hard, but a couple of words from an expert can really open a door to understand what that works about. So similarly with these, it's what us as architects see in it. Then other people hopefully can appreciate that, not that's a lump of concrete, I hate it. What are the reasons behind it? Before I told you that
2: Furio did it, who did you you think might've been the architect of this one?
0: I heard McConnell, Smith & Johnson. You had heard that? Yeah. Yeah. I I don't know where it came from. It might have been when I saw it was up for a DA, I might have looked into it and seen it there. Um.
2: Well, when when anyone sees a concrete building and they don't know who it is, they assume Harry Seidler. Yes. And a couple of people told me Harry. It was only after I'd spoken to Furio about working for Harry, I realised that this is, it does have similarities with Harry's office in Glen Street, Nelson's Point which is that it's a concrete structure with in-situ co- columns, T-beams, and then an attached screen. And that was finished in
0: 73. This was done in 77, 78, so. Beautiful building, one of the best buildings in Sydney, Barry's office. Beautiful scale, expression of structure, expressions yep. of building, it's absolutely superb, it is.
1: Mm. Okay. Wow. Nailed I it. Think that's good, yeah. Really great, Sam.
0: It was nice having a walk around. I think I did that on the weekend, just having a look around what is actually going here, because i would really mainly looked at the facade. But When you go inside, there's just layer and layer and layer of a very coherent and consistent philosophy in the building. Furio really understood the construction process. Mm -hmm. Maybe that came from Harry, or it's just understanding that you save a lot of money and you get a a great building.
2: Mm.
0: We've asked Furio Vallec to come and
2: look at this building, which he hasn't seen for many years. Furio Valich emigrated from Trieste in 1951 as a child and his father, who'd worked as an electrical engineer in Trieste, found work here as a train driver. Furio first studied accounting and then later graduated with an architecture degree from UTS. He then worked for Schmaling, Boys and Vickery and then Harry Seidler and Associates for five years before he was laid off due to the recession. He then found short-term work first with Alan Jack and Cotier architects and then McConnell, Smith and & Johnson. And shortly after doing this building, he established his own practice in 1979. While Furio was working at McConnell, Smith & Johnson, he designed the Cross Street parking station, working only with the help of another junior architect. So how does it feel to be here, Furio, like 43 years later? Karen, it's um
3: it's just as I imagined it, and I, this is the first time I've actually walked through the whole thing, or driven through the whole thing, and I'm still happy with the way it feels. A bit disappointed with the cleaning and maintenance of it, and repair, when they repair something, it's not done properly, of course, which is part of the course. But basically, I'm, I'm still proud of it, so that's about it.
2: Do you, do you feel like it's your building? It's your design? Yeah. You've got yeah, ownership? Of course, yeah. Yeah, good. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's, very, it's a very particular building. There's nothing really like it, and it has its, quite a strong presence for something that's so simple. It, it is. The brief at the time was um, cheap, no
3: maintenance, low maintenance rather <laughs> no ma- rather than no maintenance, and quick to put up. It was a council project. And the best way to do that, of course, is to use the robust character of concrete. Most of it's in situ, of course,
2: but the, all the blades precast. They were happening while while the building was happening. So part of the brief wasn't to make a beautiful car park? Was that mentioned? There was no such thing as a beautiful car park in those days. <laughs> but
3: no, it wasn't. It wasn't. We tried to make it a bit beautiful, inverted commas, at the entrance. Yep. And the um, vertical circulation. Put in the lift, which at the time was a bit over the odds for a car park. Most car parks were... They didn't have as many levels as this, but they didn't have a lift either. Yeah. So we went to that, but we tried to make it a bit attractive at the entrance with the garden and the sculptural shapes that we've got out. But there wasn't any any real um, beauty put into it. It was just a very
2: productive building. Mm. That's all it is. I mean, what the thing that... Really strong about the car park is the vertical precast fins, which are so slender, and they've got the Hawkesbury River gravel and the and gravel. Yeah. That's what really characterizes it. Were, they, were you asked to conceal the cars or have any uh, sort of facade uh, elements? No,
3: we weren't asked to conceal the cars. In fact, there was a lot of um, argument at the time about spending the money on the blades because it was usually just all weld mesh yeah. Blades are there because of, because of the, the, the properties across the street and try to create some ambience for
2: them. Mm. It was um, not just a car park. Because if, if they weren't there, it would be a very long, low, you'd read these, these deep sort of 800 deep beams the the yeah. and the big columns, yeah. and it would be a grid. But you you chose to put those blades on in a very sort of playful, rhythmic fashion. Yes. And they just, they're not framed, they're not, not, not set in boxes. It's just a linear thing on each level. And it really just does something. It just really lifts the building, doesn't it?
3: Well, what, what, what I did was try not to be repetitive. On each level there's the, the Fibonacci sequence yep. for, for a certain number of blades. Yep. And then I just jumped away from that, put a, a, a again. different sequence in, and then below I offset them.
2: Yep. So you get this, you get a bit of a uh, movement in the facade if you look yeah. at it. Yeah, but also I like the way sometimes they run in front of columns, sometimes they yeah. run in voids, it's not, you're not making... It's, it, well, I wasn't trying to be precise yeah. about the spacing because the columns aren't in fact
3: precisely spaced anyway. They change the ends there yeah. because of the vertical circulation compared to the bulk of the car park.
2: Yeah, and, th- and this isn't in the script, but it's almost, it's almost an element from, say, deconstructionism later. I mean, that's not something you see in the 70s in particular. Oh, no. No, it's, it, it's very free.
3: Yeah. It was meant to, it was, the intention was to be playful and um, interesting. Yeah. You know, and, and, and it asked questions of people, you know, well, why is it like that? But I'm sure nobody asked themselves that question because they car park. Yeah. But I asked myself that question. Mm.
1: So is that, to explain the Fibonacci to us because it's not really immediately apparent, is it? I mean, they, they seem sort of random, but they're not in they fact. They
3: seem random because the Fibonacci progression is starts at zero, then one, then you add zero and one together and get one, then you get two. one and one equals two, so that's the spacing uh, sequence, then two and three is, becomes five. So it's one, one, two, three, five, Eight, right? So it's not a, it's not a, um, it's not a, a um, symmetrical progression. It's a, almost
2: a logarithmic progression. It's, 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 in fact a spiral. The building's is very rational, and it's about industrial production, and that's that's a construction that fits in with that because it's about repetition as well. It's about, just about how you repeat. About repetition, yeah. The T yeah. Be- the T
3: beams, the blades, the, the off-the-shelf wire mesh, weld mesh. Yep. Illustrates that was all a function of getting things quickly doing them cheaply mm. and precast at the time was a cheap way of doing things
2: yeah so there was a lot of precast knowledge yeah yep. that's right
1: yeah do you, tell us about the context of you know when you designed it so you're working in the office of mcconnell smith and johnson
3: i was working at harry sidler's and there's a, a time when he ran out of work and Made a, made a bunch of us redundant. I needed to keep working, I didn't want to drive a cab. There were a lot of architects driving cabs at that time. So I then said, well, the best thing to do is set up my own practice. I was in the early 20s at the time, 25 I think. But to set up my own practice meant I had to get clients and <laughs> I had no clients. So I went and worked at various offices on a contract basis. Alan Jack and Carter, uh, Smaling Boys and Vickery, who aren't around at the moment, and McConnell, Smith and Johnson, was one of the last ones. I landed there because I lived very close, could walk to work. They took me on a, on a contract for 12 months and then they extended it for six months, mainly because I was working on this building. In their office, I was the draftsman basically for a long time, bathroom details, all that sort of stuff. Then they this landed as a commission in their, in their office and they had no one to do it. They handed it to me and I took it with both hands and <laughs> I said, where do I go from here? <laughs> so I, I worked day and night to, to do something that I was happy with and luckily they were happy with and went under their name and that's how it happened.
0: Mm.
3: Because it was probably the first com- commission that I did myself because when I was working in Sidler's of office and other offices before that, I was just a lackey. Yeah, you know, to be handed a project like this was just the dream come
1: true. So you hadn't been there long, so you weren't really influenced by the kind of work no, they were doing at no, the time?
3: No, no. I mean, it, was a, it was an office that was 100 metres from where I lived at the time in Surrey Hills and they needed people they took me on and took me on for a 12-month contract. That's all they could guarantee, but I, I think I ended up staying there 18 months.
1: Did their work influence this at all, even if it's just the sort of technology, concrete construction kind no, of? No,
3: no, no. Um, my biggest influence in this, if I had to put an influence down, would be Cabruccio's principles of um, structure, circulation, sculptural shapes, those, those sort of um, principles that had expounded all the time, which they didn't have in their buildings. You know? They they had precast concrete, of course, and that's they influenced me to, to do to go in the precast direction with the structure and stuff because they knew they knew that it was the quickest way to build. But I I didn't because
2: I was twenty five and knew, knew nothing.
1: Right.
2: Well, Sam was saying that the whole building shows a really thorough knowledge of construction and how to put buildings together, because it's, it's very rational. You've got your, your three rows of columns, your in-situ columns, and then you've got your beams in-situ, then you've got your T-beams dropped in, and that it's really, everything's very clear. It's like a building lesson. Okay, that, that, that approach that I had was um, direct
3: influenced by Harry Seidel's experience, my experience in Harry Seidel's yep. office. You don't design yourself into problems. Mm. So you, you approach it with a, a direct linear progression of elements because you can easily do wacky things that just cause you problems at the end of the day. Yeah. So it's a very direct
2: approach. Yeah you were saying his, his mantra was keep it simple. Keep it simple, stupid. Did he say stupid? No I did <laughs>
1: <laughs> Is there something of the opera house, something of the the influence of the Opera House because there were so many skilled tradespeople in that concrete was really efficient.
3: That's where precast concrete developed as an industry from from the Opera House because the people doing the precast elements at the Opera House that ran out, right? And they had to find other work, and so they started doing other
2: things, more commercial things. So with the talking about precast, well, since we are the fins themselves are probably like 70 mil wide or something, the widest. Maybe 80, and they, they're like a sort of. Tapered, yeah. They're like a truncated par- parabola, really, aren't they? Yeah. I guess that's t- to help the release from the form. It's. But you must have. That was obviously a special mould. Yeah, it was a special mould, and um, it was tapered
3: so that from the, from the inside of the car park, you just got these vertical slots, but yeah. from the outside, mainly from across the road, the blade opened up.
1: And we were looking at the little fixing points uh, cast into the they're, blades. They're very brittle too. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but there, there's no, I saw one rust spot on a blade, there's tiny bits of spalling in the building here and there. Tiny, tiny bits, yeah. Only tiny, yeah. fixable, but the yeah. the blades are in incredibly good shape. They're yeah. the same colour and they really stand out from the building. It's a
3: Hawkesbury stone, it, it doesn't, didn't, didn't fade. Yeah, and it's also it's also
2: um, not getting a lot of sun on them either. Yeah. There's no runoff on them, but yeah, no, they're in great shape. Yeah. And how do you how do you feel about all the weathering? Let's have a look up here and look at some.
3: Well, it's um, fifty years old. I've got a, I've got a lot of weathering myself.
2: Huh, not so bad.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but see how the stairs. Take it away from the building. You've got these little yep. bridges. There was some opposition to creating this, right? Right. Because of course the bridges cost money, and the extra wall. Yep. You know? But that's that's what's give, giving it a sculptural value.
2: It's what, it's it's interesting this building, you because before you mentioned Le Corbusier, I didn't, I mean, I, I, I noticed that these rooftop, sculptural rooftop structures, you immediately think of the Unite, yeah. but also La Tourette. But is that, was that your influence in doing these? Uh, Corb did a lot
3: of stairs. There were circular landings and bridges across to the, the plate. So the stair was pulled back from the building, yeah. which is what that is. And I just expressed the shapes that, that, that I could. The lift tower is square. Stairs tapered, and the linking roof is just a, a nondescript roof between
2: them. Mm. Not knowing a lot about your career, but I know things you've done, like the Sydney uh Labs. You've done the Craig Carlstrom House, yeah. and there's the Centennial Park Pavilion. Was that you, or mainly no, Douglas? Both of us together, I okay. think. Yeah. You don't seem to have a particular style that you follow. Each no, building is different. No, I try and solve the problems of, of the of
1: So tell us about the landscaping. So you had Bruce McKenzie's yeah. company did a landscape plan.
3: Yeah, there's not much of it left. It's just the trippy, the sheet ax all the low stuff is.
1: What was it, what was along this bit? I can't remember. That's very, very, it's Bruce
3: McKenzie, just you know, nuts and berries, low maintenance. I think the bow- site boundary was there. Yeah. This is council land. Yeah. Huh? which they allowed us to put the stair into, which mm-hmm. created this. But the, the garden went in, yep. uh, right along this facade. It is an amazing elevation, isn't it? Yeah. At the time, I think it was like 25, 24, 25, it was a job and I didn't think about you know, what would be, be in the future, what would come of it in the future. I didn't think about the car park as being a special sort of building. It was a, piece, it was a commission. But I was excited while I was doing it.
1: Well, you seem to have really, you know, taken it to an extra level. Like, you know, put a lot of effort into yeah. making it a really nice car park. You know, I
3: did. And do you know why? Because I wanted to keep my job. <laughs>
1: <laughs> did it work?
3: Oh Well, once I'd finished this, they asked me to stay on, and by that by that time I'd, I'd got a, one client for an alteration and addition. I said, "Oh no, I'm going to start an office," so I left. So how do you feel now just having walked around? I've enjoyed it, I've enjoyed the walk around. I'm, I agree with you, it's aged very well, albeit it you know, needs a bit of cleaning, like, you know, the, and maintenance, it worries me, but, you know, get a sense of joy out of what I've done, because as I said, I hadn't been here through the building before.
1: <laughs> and the, you certainly, you know, Fulfilled the low maintenance brief because they've obviously done yeah, next I, to nothing, and it's I misunderstood
3: that no, no maintenance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. no, but see, whilst you could say that, that adds character
2: because that's nature and reality, I'd be water water blasting it and cleaning it. Well, if, if it was Sam's building, he would he wouldn't allow you to do that, you know. From where we stand, it's sort of a bit like a tree's bark, like you can see. Oh, it is. It's a natural, it's a natural oh, yeah, it's happening. happening. Oh that's good for the introduction. But The different layers, so look up there, the, the staining under the, yeah, the, the, the feet, especially at the top, it's, yeah. 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 it just looks great. Yeah.
1: How do you feel walking around
3: it? I, I, I really loved walking around it. And it um, justified in my mind that I did a great job of it because everything is right about it. The traffic flows good, the um, curved curved up and down ramps are much better than straight up and down ramps because you just get this circular
2: motion. (laughs) It's a damn Porsche.
3: No, I'm I'm proud to see it. I'm disappointed in a few things, but, you know, that's the nature of the beast. But basically, did a great job. They should have given me full-time employment.
1: The other, the other thing I wanted to ask you is, so we, we sort of started looking at this because something that might seem bizarre to you is we got it nominated for the National Trust, Trust yeah, Register. Well,
3: I'm appreciative of your efforts there.
1: But is it sort of strange to think of it as heritage?
3: No, not at all, no. Okay. Heritage, heritage was once modern or contemporary. Yeah, so it's just a matter of time scale. I mean, this is 50 years old. Yeah, okay. Great.
1: Yeah. Right. I
3: think Thanks that's furio. good,
1: Furio. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Good. First time I've done a podcast. I'm, I think I'll get into it.
1: Yeah, <laughs> have your own soon.
2: Get a hang of it.
1: I actually used to use this parking station quite a lot. My dentist was just like one street away, and I used to park here quite, you know, over years, but I never actually really noticed it that much. It's so, it's it's been interesting to to take another look at it and see it. I think creeps, with fresh eyes, it
2: creeps up on people because you can just get a glimpse of it as you drive past on New South Head Road, which is about a hundred metres away. It's interesting that architecture can be invisible and just grow on you over the years. You know, in a way, this building doesn't have very strong qualities. It's not, it's not lit at night. There's no lights on the outside. There's no colours on the outside. It's a concrete building, which doesn't have any glass. It doesn't glitter, but it has an effect on people and one of the reasons why we chose this is because when I mentioned it to a few people they said oh you mean that excellent car park in Double Bay or I really like the fact that it's not clad everything else in Double Bay seems to be shiny and layer upon layer of costly materials and it's not so I think it's it's, not, it's a, a bit like your book Rebecca where you've identified architects and suddenly once they've been identified, once they're in a book or an exhibition, their work is actually taken seriously as architecture, and it's added to the the list of buildings that we look at. Same with this one here. It's also really nice that Furio hadn't been here for. He said he'd actually never driven to the top, so he must have finished supervising the building before it was finished. But it was great to walk around with him, and uh, when I rang him to check on the name of one of these firms he worked for, he said to me, that he forgot to say that when he was here, he thought this building has a soul of its own.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. It's been really nice to take a close look at it, at what could potentially be one of these kind of non-places of late modernity that you just don't notice. You just use it and it's there and you really don't appreciate it. but. Take a closer look at it, someone's put a lot of thought into it and it's incredibly simple and that's really something that we should value really. Mm. So no, I, yeah, I've really, I've really enjoyed it. He sort of went beyond the brief to do something exceptional. I mean, something, something takes this building from just being a car park to being something exceptional.